I'm Jonathan Mosen. Thank you for joining me for episode 23 of Mosen at Large. Spontaneously, as a result of a listener comment, we talk about bullying in the wider community and in the blind community as well, and how we all have a responsibility to make it stop. And of course, as you'd expect, plenty of tech chat in the mix too. Mosen at Large Podcast. If you would like to be in touch with the show, jonathan at mushroomfm.com is the email address. You can write something down or attach an audio clip, and you can call the listener line. That number is 864-60-MOSIN in the United States. That's 864-606-6736. Hi, Jonathan. This is Bernice Kandarian from California, and I wanted to share something with you. Last week during your show, someone stated that they were having trouble getting onto the Echo to to get into the program. I later in in that same show, I received a call from my friend Petra and hers had shut down and it took her a, some minutes to get it back up and running and um I wasn't having that difficulty at that moment. However, I do have trouble sometimes I have to request a, as much as four or five times before she'll start talking and um uh, uh, some other things that that the A lady is doing is that she, uh, when I was listening to a Wiki, well any Wikipedia I listen to, uh, when she's going to the next sentence, she sometimes repeats it four or five times before she goes forward. I think it is a problem worldwide with the with the cloud or something because you know it's not just one person, and we have three echoes in the house and. And sometimes all three of them are doing the same thing, and other times only one. The other thing I thought was real interesting, I had called the Echo people on Sunday, and they said that they would do some testing. Of course, they always tell a blind person what color is the light on the Echo, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, He said, well, he was a little uncomfortable, but he said he was going to do some more checking. So on Monday morning, and this is all Pacific time, at 10.30, 10.25 in the morning, I was requesting a song, and uh, she was starting to play it. You know how she always says uh, uh, the name of the song that she's playing. And she said, and then she said, before the music kept rolling, she said, by the way, uh, did you have to request me more than once? <laughs> I said, no. At that point, at that particular request was a no. I should have said, not at this time. Thank you very much for that. And so it sounds like other people are having the issue. We have not had this issue. And my layperson's diagnosis on that basis is possibly that it's related to one of the servers that Amazon is using to furnish Echo inquiries because there is a distributed architecture around the world. And the idea of this is to ensure that one server isn't overloaded and that you get snappy responses. So when we talk to our device, what happens is that it will respond from a server in, I believe, Australia. I think Sydney is where they have the closest distributed server for Amazon Echo queries here. So that would be a different thing. That It would be different from uh, what you get in the U.S., And I think that could be what's going on. And you see this sometimes when the echo goes down for some people, but not other people. It's because of that. And so I'm wondering whether that's going on, whether there's some funky business going on with one of the servers in the United States. 
But that's interesting, and it confirms it was Gary who raised it last week, and I sort of jokingly said that it's because the feds are intercepting Gary's request, because he's a journalist, you see. But no, well, there could be a very plausible reason for it, a very plausible reason. So thank you for that, and I would be interested to hear whether other people have had similar problems with their echo. We've received email from Aaron in the Philippines, and for those listening on the Mosin Explosion, he's asked for a request pertaining to this, but he is raising the question of bullying as a result of a story that he has read in his RSS feeds this week. This boy that Aaron's talking about, if you are not familiar with the story, his name is Quaden Bales. He's nine years old. And when his mum picked him up from school over in Queensland in Australia a few days ago, she actually saw this young guy being bullied. Now, Quaden, who is nine, has dwarfism. So he's a small guy. And he's also Aboriginal. So he's an, uh, an Indigenous Australian. And so you've got the double discrimination going on there with somebody who is uh, Indigenous Australian and has dwarfism. And he apparently regularly is subjected to bullying. And his mum had her cell phone and videoed his response to this bullying. Because he's a, a little guy, he still has a car seat and he was sobbing his heart out and saying that you know, he didn't want to live anymore because he was being bullied so frequently and uh, he has had an outpouring of support from various sources including some pretty famous people and they've uh, set up a give a little page and this has resulted in quite a lot of money actually being raised for him to send him to Disneyland and he's also now let out an all-star rugby team. So he's got a lot of attention and I'm glad of that. And uh, what it does draw hopefully some attention to is the rampant bullying that does actually exist. It's a really uh, difficult issue because on the one hand, we celebrate in general that disabled people can go to their own local school now and go home at night to see their parents and mingle with their local communities and that's all very good stuff it's a complicated subject depending on the disability particularly where blindness is concerned because with blindness the accommodations are not one off to make mainstream a success you have to make sure that the children are given exposure to instruction like braille which requires a teacher who is literate in a different form of literacy than your standard class teacher, that takes an investment of resources. And so often these things are um, backed up with few resources, lots of idealism, but few resources. And so it sets up a lot of disabled kids to fail. And it takes advocacy organizations to lobby pretty strenuously for the resources to make it happen. So that's one side of the equation that Depending on the disability, the accommodations may be ongoing, not just a one-off mod, like, for example, physical access. On the other hand, too, kids can be very cruel. And if there is not the appropriate support in the system to educate kids about diversity and celebrating diversity and the fact that we're all richer 
when we celebrate our differences and make an inclusive society, then the whole thing breaks down and you get a lot of bullying. And I actually think that uh, for, for, for blind kids and, and disabled kids of all kinds who have been in mainstream schools, there will be more than one's fair share of bullying stories. It troubles me a lot. And it's not just disability because kids can bully other kids for all sorts of reasons, perhaps because they don't have the the right clothes or the right shoes or they think differently or whatever. So uh, kids can be very cruel and it's up to parents to deal with that. Uh, Not all do, of course, not all do. And then as well as that, I heard while the show was on, I think last week of the death of Caroline Caroline Flack. I don't know her at all, or I don't know of her. I think she was the host of a reality TV show. Somehow she lost that position and um, she took her life. I understand she was also subject to a lot of internet bullying. And that's a completely different issue, but it's, uh, it's also, it's also a, uh, a very important issue. I was going to say one day I will talk about this, but um, now that I've sort of started, I may as well finish. But the thing is that when you start to talk about something like this, you almost become fearful of unleashing the trolls. And it's unfortunate because one's silence almost sanctions their behavior. And yet, if you have ever been the the victim of real, genuine internet bullying, and I have, you will know that it's – because I haven't really prepared for this, I can't even think of the word to describe it. It's an onslaught. It's – if you don't have the support, it really can – make you wish that you could end your life. And for people who don't feel that or have never experienced it, it almost seems irrational because people say, God, it's only the internet, get a grip. And I have, uh, you know, we had a a woman in uh, New Zealand who worked in both New Zealand and Australia. Uh, When was this? About five or six years ago, who took her life because of internet bullying. And at the time, a number of people said to me, man, what an overreaction. You know, it's just the internet, switch it off. But social networks, they are wired to trigger your addictive responses. And so you can't help it when you know that things are being said about you that are untrue and incredibly cruel and unkind. You can't help looking. And it does take a lot of discipline and uh, skill not to do it. If you engage in robust discourse on political or other issues, and I do, so I've written blog posts that clearly they might provoke a response. I have no difficulty with that at all. No difficulty with it at all. You, you might provoke a response, and if somebody vehemently agrees with you based on the view that you've expressed, and they vehemently offer a counter view, that's all good stuff. I actually think that we're all better off for it. You know, For example, I remember writing a blog post uh, a few years ago on 
how annoyed I felt that I, co- I couldn't make a call on a flight I was on when Wi-Fi was on the flight because somebody had decided that this wasn't a good thing. So it was a, it was a deliberate technical limitation. And um, I wrote a post about this and said, you know, I, there are crying babies. There are all sorts of <laughs> mean and terrible things going on. And, and some people wrote quite strong uh, opposing views on this. Um, another example that works you might remember the post from Maria. I forget her name. She uses a name online. Um, Girl Gone Blind. She wrote a blog post uh, a couple of years ago in which she thanked her children for the role that they played in her journey as a parent. And some people felt it conveyed the message that blind parents were too dependent on their sighted children. And I think the journey is quite difference depending on who you are and your circumstances. If you've gone blind later in life, then there may be situations where the rehab system has let you down. And in that case, maybe your kids do, for better or worse, pick up the slack and that's an indictment on the rehab system. Well, people unleashed such vitriol on her blog about the blog posts that she had written. And I understand the concern. The concern is that some this plays into stereotypes and somebody reading this might use it, say, in a defense situation where a blind parent had had their children taken away, which is just one of the most horrible things I could possibly imagine happening to anybody. So I completely understand why it pushed buttons. And I tried to write a blog post which challenged the things that she'd said while respecting her personal journey. Because you can disagree with somebody without actually being disagreeable. Without that, that was one of the wonderful lessons, I think, that Barack Obama taught us. He was always able to disagree without being disagreeable. And um, we have become quite good friends. I've met her several times. The first time I met her, she gave me a big hug. We've, um, we've talked and I have a lot of respect for her and she understood where I was coming from and respected the way that we had had that discussion. One of the most bizarre bullying episodes that has happened to me was when I was leaving Freedom Scientific to go and work for Ira. And to my great surprise, because I had no idea it was coming and I used to run the Freedom Scientific blog, they did a blog post which basically thanked me for my service to Freedom Scientific, which had gone on continuously from 2006 to 2018 when I left. So 12 years of continuous service to Freedom Scientific. And completely out of the blue, somebody with whom I had in the past had reasonably convivial contact started a campaign of violent personal bullying in which some pretty serious and 100% made up accusations were made about me. And I don't even know where it came from. It seemed to be triggered by this one blog post and the, the perpetrator felt that it was not fair that I had been singled out for this thank you blog post and other people hadn't. And obviously I'm not responsible for that. I mean, they may well have a point, but to bully me and actually put stuff out there that is 100% false and actually defamatory to the point that I did actually have to consult uh, legal advice and say, you know, what, can, can, I, can I do anything about this? And yes, the answer is I can. It's extraordinary to me 
So bullying is rampant in our society that whether you are different or whether you just put your head out there above the parapet for whatever reason or, or whatever, people will go well beyond having a reasonable debate with you and simply seek to destroy your character or you or whatever for the hell of it. And I think that we as a blind community in particular, since I realize that this is the audience that I'm talking to, really have to look at ourselves pretty carefully about this because we face so much discrimination and misunderstanding of our ability that, what's that old saying? We, we hang together or we hang separately? It just seems really incomprehensible to me that because somebody has, you know, a little bit of a profile or whatever, you know, they've, they've done things, whether it be podcasts or jobs they've held that get their name out there a little bit, they're still underneath. We are all human beings. We're all human beings. And you can disagree with someone's point of view without uh, seeking to assassinate their character and bullying them. So it's a big problem for all of us. There are so many layers to this onion. And I have been very inarticulate in my stating of this, but it wasn't really planned. But I realized that if I didn't say something, given that uh, Aaron's email here has uh, basically brought, you know, I, I can't ignore the email. It's a really important issue. And, um, and, and if, I, if I'm not brave enough to point out the incredible vitriolic, 100% incorrect and nasty bullying that I personally have been subjected to, then maybe somebody who has uh, less of a platform can't be expected to either, and it might just help somebody. The, the one thing I would say is that if you see bullying online, could I, could I respectfully request that you consider doing two things? One, call the person out privately for what they're doing. And in the particular case I'm referring to, a number of people did, and I'm very grateful for that. The other thing I suggest you do is unfollow them because, or, or unfriend them, depending on the network, because really what they seek is attention. So I wouldn't even necessarily get into a public pissing contest about this because it just plays into what they're after. And that's one of the tricky things that um, when you have somebody in social media who might have, you know, two, three hundred followers and they are bullying someone, defaming someone with, in my case, I think it's four and a half thousand followers. If you respond, you actually amplify it. So you really are in a very tricky position. So those are the two things that I would do. Um, you know, block the individual. And that's actually what I what I personally do is is block the individuals. Yeah, you know, there, there will be people who who will think the worst of people who have any kind of profile, but most people I think are reasonable. I like to hope so. But bullying is a is a very serious problem in all walks of life for our kids and for many of us. 
There is a third thing, and it's really quite simple. Just be a bit kind. Just be a bit kind. I'm interested in any updates that anybody has on the WeWalk smart cane. I know that we had a listener who commented on a few technical issues. I think it may have been Nick Zamarelli who had the WeWalk smart cane. If you haven't heard about this, it's a smart cane device that has GPS built in. It does all sorts of things. It's always occurred to me that the white cane is kind of wasted real estate, isn't it? Because unless you're using a guide dog, then the white cane is something that blind people carry around with us. And it's kind of like the towel in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, don't you think? I mean, you've got to know where your towel is and your cane is. And I've always thought, why can't we make it smart? Why can't we make it do things? We could have, you know, a built-in FM radio or any, any number of things built into the cane and Bluetooth it to whatever. And the WeWalk Smart Cane has several functions built in. It's been a while since I checked the website to find out what they're doing with it now. But uh, somebody at my work actually sent an email. He'd read about the WeWalk Smart Cane and said, this really does sound like cool technology. And it reminded me to check in with anybody who does have one of these WeWalk Smart Canes to find out how it's going for you. Is it everything you hoped it would be? Inevitably, with any major new product like this, there will be glitches. And I understand there were based on the message. I'm pretty sure it was, Nick. But I'd love to get a progress update if you've got this thing. Should I get one? I thought it might be quite cool to be sporting a smart cane. So if you have any thoughts on the WeWalk smart cane, let us know. Hello, Jonathan. This is Kevin. Just listened to your episode 22. And it was marvelous. Just a comment about de-googling. And I love that. Here's a tip on DuckDuckGo. The main reason of avoiding Google is because of this search tracking issue where when you go to one page, it will track you uh, and it will give information to that page. You know, what's your search query and all that. So in DuckDuckGo, you can use a search operator to actually use any search engine, including Google, but without having Google tracking you. So uh, the way is to use the exclamation mark or the bang some, some people call that. <laughs> so shift one exclamation mark and the search engine name. So in our case, Google space and the search query. So by this way, DuckDuckGo will use Google as your search engine without the tracking or with, with the tracking blocked. And for an issue regarding the non-availability of features, of squat cars and clean feed and maybe some other compatibility issue you can try other chromium alternative which have privacy focused features one which is very popular is called brave and another one is epic browser so epic browser doesn't store your history I need it just for that. Uh, it's very privacy focused. Epic. So although it's built on Chromium. So it's built for privacy means. So to end my audio memo, 
I have a question here. I just wondered uh, what are some of the recording apps you use? Oh my word! In your iOS devices, so there are many, and I always get a headache to choose. So I hope you can recommend some which you're fond of. Um, maybe for for many situations, like for recording a quick recording, and also to do long and also. Uh, professional recording. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kevin. For, oh. Thank you for your good work. Oh, thank you. That's very nice. Thanks for your very informative and interesting message. Starting off with DuckDuckGo and the commands that starts with an exclamation mark with the bang commands. I, I have a question. Why are they called bang commands? It's something to do with the exclamation mark, isn't it? Because I remember using window eyes, I think for the first time. Maybe it even goes back to vocalize. Good old vocalize. Control backslash. That's what we need. I'm pretty sure it does go back to vocalize. Anyway, what I'm talking about is that when in the GW Micro products, at least in the early days, you came across an exclamation mark, it said bang. I had never heard this before. I was very intrigued by it. And I thought, why is it saying bang every time it comes across an exclamation mark? I mean, and I actually got used to it because... Bang is much quicker than exclamation mark or even exclamation, isn't it? And I'm a great efficiency proponent. So having it say bang at the end of a sentence, when you knew why it was doing it, that it was an exclamation mark, was actually quite efficient. But I thought that was a uniquely GW, GW micro thing until I got into DuckDuckGo and I also saw that these exclamation mark type commands were referred to as bang commands. So is this a thing in America? And I, I asked Bonnie, who is the spokesperson for America at Mosin Towers. She's, she's like America's ambassador to Mosin Towers. I said, why do you American types call it bang? And she didn't have a clue what I was talking about. So I'd love to know some history about this. Is this common? It's obviously more than just a GW micro thing. I wonder if it's a computer speak thing. Anyway, curious. But they, those commands are powerful. One of the things, though, is you're in a catch-22 situation, Kevin, aren't you? Because one of the things that makes Google so good at what it does is that it does start to understand your preferences. That's a blessing and a curse. The blessing is that you do tend to get the things that you're searching for. The curse is that you increasingly get in a bubble, getting the search results that suit your bias, as it were. And so you don't get a true picture of things sometimes. So... I suppose the thing is to know which tool in the toolbox to use. But yes, right from the DuckDuckGo edit field, you can search Google, you can search Amazon, you can search various news sites and all sorts of things with these bang <laughs> commands. Quite extraordinary. We've talked quite a bit on this show about Brave Browser, thanks to a listener who is a great proponent of it and because it's very secure. I did have some problems getting my favorites and other content in sync. You're supposed to do this by setting up a passphrase that you enter into the appropriate places in the Brave browser, and then it syncs across, which is a really cool way of doing it because there's no cloud account or anything like that. I found that when I tried to set this up, the iOS app would crash a little bit. So I don't know. I might give it another go. I've also heard from a, a colleague at work about the epic... Epic 
browser. And so I might give that one a go as well. Now, you asked about audio apps. I have a bit of a propensity to collect audio apps. And of course, it depends on what you like and what you're doing. For a quick audio memo, I do find it hard to go past just press record, even though there is now a voice memos app on the Apple Watch. I do like just press record on the watch. I have had situations where I've gotten to some trouble in a store where they're refusing to give me a refund for something that they should jolly well be refunding me because of the consumer guarantee legislation that we have. And so sometimes I have the, the just press record complication on my watch. And sometimes I just tap it, you know, and uh, get get a recording. And it's been actually quite useful. Just press record does transcribe recordings optionally, but I haven't found that terribly helpful. It's a great app and the developer is committed to accessibility. So I do like just press record. Let's just see if I bring the thing up in the mix here. And some of these are recorders. Voice memos. So there's voice memos from Apple. GarageBand, 18 new items. I have GarageBand. I find it quite unwieldy, but it may just be that I haven't taken the time required to get into GarageBand. DJ2, one new item. The DJ2 app, spelled D-E-E-J-A-Y. AudioBus 2. AudioBus, I don't see much reference to that anymore, but it's a way of chaining audio apps together, which can be quite useful because of the sandboxing in iOS. Air Remote. Double tapped open. Actions available. It's for the Airfoil app. That's right, which I won't get into now because it's not a recorder. Backpack. Recently updated. There's Backpack Studio. Now, I should say that Backpack Studio has come out with a beta, and that is uh, now full of keyboard commands and Siri shortcuts. It just keeps getting better and better. Marvelous. Warm me up. Warm me up. Oh, that's a vocal thing. That, that's good for vocal exercises. It is important to do vocal exercises, even if you're not a vocalist and you're going to be doing a lot of um, talking. Got to look after the vocal cords, man. Page one or four. Oh, my Warm goodness. Let's go into page, page two. two audio, audio, yeah. audio. So this is Shazam. Everybody knows about Shazam because you play a little bit of a song and it identifies the song for you. It's also built into Siri, but Shazam is quicker than Siri. Remote. Double tapped open. Record. Double tapped open. Actions available. I can't remember what some of these do. Rec up sounds like a recorder. Awareness. Double tap. Awareness. Yeah, this is where you can use your microphone as a kind of a form of amplification. Audio memos. Audio memos is a really good app. It's very powerful. It's not a simple recorder, but um, there, there, there are many features in audio memos. It's not one I use regularly, but I do have all the in-app purchases. Speaker. Speaker, which of course is for uh, podcast listening or creation. Just press record. There's Double just press open. record, which I've talked about. Page two or four. And just we'll go on to the next page. Sonobit, that's a remote control app for Sonos. Intercom. And similarly, open. that's Actions a available. Sonos intercom where you can basically say over your Sonos, come and get your breakfast. Zone play. That's another remote app for Sonos. Deezer. Deezer is a streaming music service that actually on Sonos offers a high quality option. Gigdaddy. Geekdaddy is an app I got very early in my iPhone career. I don't even, I mean, I guess it is being updated because it's still around in 64-bit form. It's a little multi-track recorder, quite simple and um, quite quite fun to play with. It's got a metronome, etc. There's Orphonic, which is a very powerful suite of tools. We use it every week to produce the Mosin at Large podcast, and it adds dynamic audio compression, equalization, noise removal, all sorts of cool things. Double tapped open. Actions available. Miked. 
can't even remember what that does, but that's another recorder. iRecorder. And there's oh. iRecorder. I believe that's from the, a microphone company. Fairlight. There's Ferrite, which I do actually use on a very regular basis. It's a multi-track recorder. I mentioned that last week and linked to it in the show notes of the podcast. Page three or four. And finally, enhanced ears. enhanced ears is quite interesting. It's designed for people who don't necessarily wear hearing aids, but you can use it if you do wear hearing aids. And it just adds a little bit of extra equalization and things and uses your microphone as a form of amplification. So it can be kind of like a, a cheap... Uh, but more powerful alternative to the live listen feature of your iPhone when you have made for iPhone hearing aids. Bose Connect. Bose Double Connect. Sector. I use that with my Bose Soundware speaker, which is kind of like this collar that you wear around your neck. So that's not a recorder app. Voice in a can. Voice in a can is a way to get the soup drinker on your Apple Watch. Marvelous. Satellite. Double tapped open. Twisted Wave. And Twisted Wave is another very good, actually, single track audio editor. Recorder. And that's the Rode Reporter app, which if you have any Rode microphones is really important. Rode is a pretty good microphone manufacturer. And I have a thing called the Rode SC6L, which is a little lightning dongly dongle that you plug in. And there are two lapel mics that plug into it. Plus there's a headphone jack. And the Rode Reporter app allows you to configure whether it makes a recording with both microphones coming through both channels or a microphone for each channel, which is what I prefer to do because then I take the recording into Reaper and mix it down into separate tracks. Hokusai 2. That's Hokusai made by the same people as Ferrite. It's a kind of a single track. It's kind of like the difference between, say, SoundForge versus Reaper. This is the, this is the SoundForge. Ferrite is the Reaper. And that's my tour. But I would add a couple of things. I do also have an app in a separate folder because I put it in my productivity folder called Otter like the creature otter. And you can go to otter.ai to get more information on this. And otter is a recording app designed for recording meetings. And it does a remarkably good job. Many people get frustrated with the dictation on their smartphone. This is at a whole different level. So you can record meetings and then you can upload the recording to their server. You can also take podcasts like this one actually and transcribe them. It's extremely generous, and I don't know how long it will last because of that. But with the free plan, you get up to six hours of transcription a month, and you can throw any audio file you like at it. And it certainly isn't perfect. It's using artificial intelligence, but it sure is pretty jolly accurate, and it can learn different voice prints over time. So if you need quick minutes of a meeting, otter.ai is also very good. They have iOS and Android apps, and you can also use it from the web. So that's just a quick tour of some of the audio-related apps I'm using. Mosin at Large Podcast. Did you get one of those extended battery cases for your iPhone XS, if you had one of those? Because Apple is offering a free battery replacement. It's free. A free replacement for all iPhone XS model battery cases. If you bought one of these, what happens is you sort of slip them in that kind of like, a, I don't know, a rubbery sleeve that goes around your phone. And then at the bottom, it plugs into the lightning port. And that's how the battery case powers your phone. And you can get quite a lot of extra juice from this. I haven't bought the battery case for the iPhone 11 Pro Max that I have because the battery life that I have already is just so insanely good. But I did have the 10s Max 
battery case. And I gave my iPhone XS Max to Henry, the wonder son-in-law, and I gave him the battery. But Bonnie is still rocking the XS Max, and she does also have the extended battery case. And we looked into this because it was on the news. It was on the news that Apple was offering this free battery replacement. And so we called Apple, and they acted like this was major news to them. And they said, where did you hear this? As if, oh, it was, it, it was just some nit on the internet. I said, it's in multiple news sources that Apple's offering this. And they put me on hold. And uh, uh, finally, they said that uh, I could take it into an Apple store. And I said, well, Apple hasn't actually seen fit to open a store in New Zealand. So what will I do? Well, I send it away. And they said, you could send it into us. And I said, but I thought there was a problem with sending lithium iron batteries through the mail. I mean, I, I obviously major entities like Apple have a way of getting around this, but it's uh, quite difficult to get, say, an extended battery into the country if you buy it through sources like eBay, for example. And then Apple conceded the point and said, oh, well, in this case, you can take it to a service center. So I called the service center and they didn't even know about this extended battery thing. And they had to look it up and they said, well, what you have to do, take it into us. And then we send it to Apple and then Apple will send us a new one when they've decided that you qualify for the replacement. And I said, but, you know, it says there that everybody's entitled to a replacement. So surely you can just look up the serial number, find out that this was produced, this particular case was produced before the recall was issued and give me a new one. And they said, well, we don't actually have them in stock, so Apple will have to send you a new one. So I said, so Bonnie will be effectively without her battery case for some time while you guys send it away. So we don't we don't get the best of service from Apple in New Zealand, given that they don't have an Apple store here in New Zealand. But you can do it. You can actually take your Apple extended battery case for a 10S or 10S Max and get a brand new one if you want. Why would you do this? Why? Because... And you may well have seen this if you use these cases. Sometimes they don't charge. They don't charge the phone, uh, particularly with wireless charging pads. One of the beauties of these expensive Apple extended battery cases is that you can put the whole thing on a Qi charger and it charges the case and then it charges the phone. Or it might be the other way around. I think it possibly charges the phone first and then it charges the case. I can't remember which order it does it. But it's all very magical when it works. But I certainly had situations last year when I was traveling and I would put this thing on charge and find that uh, in the morning it was dead, Jim, dead, Jim, dead. It does have lightning pass through. So when you have this case fitted on, there is a little uh, socket at the bottom, a lightning socket, which allows you to continue to plug in accessories. So if you've got one of these things and you don't think it's behaving as reliably as it should, get it in for a repair. Hopefully it's much easier where you are than it is here. Hi, Jonathan. Uh, this is Terrell from Tennessee. Terrell from Tennessee! I wanted to point out that the election results uh, Siri commands have worked for me. Uh, you would ask, what are the primary results for South Carolina, for example? So I have I've gotten that to work. Mate! All I can say is, if you've got the primary results from South Carolina, then it just goes to show it's true what they say about the Russians, because the South Carolina primary hasn't even happened yet. If Siri's telling you the results, please tell me what it's telling you. Then I won't have to watch the coverage. Now, also, the Backpack Studio uh, app was really, really impressive. I really enjoyed that. 
Also, what do you use for a voicemail provider? Sometimes I uh, get some robocalls, and I just want to forward my call to a voicemail system, forward my phone to a voicemail system sometimes. So any ideas, please let me know. For that use case... I would recommend Google Voice, which I think is still a happening live thing in the United States, and it's a really good service, and you can forward calls and do all sorts of good things with Google Voice. There are a lot of quite powerful features. There is one main reason why I don't use Google Voice for this show, and that is that it will not send the voicemail as an attachment in a format I can use, like a Wave or MP3. You actually have to click on a link in the message, and you can download the file. It's just one step I would rather not do. So what I was looking for was a voicemail provider that would attach the audio files to an email, and then I can just um, bring them into the software that I use. And for that, I used to use a thing called K7. That was the big thing that podcasters and a lot of broadcasters used, and it was free, free. And, of course, you know when you get the free services that they're not going to last, are they? They can't. And sure enough, eventually, K7 bit the dust. So I've used various things. Um, with, with, with There's one called Simple Voice Box. I think that one also possibly doesn't attach the files. I think that might be right. But Simple Voice Box is okay. That's run by the freeconferencing.com people. Now... I am using a thing called Voicemail Depot, or as they say in the United States, Depot. Ah, I'm wearing a Depot. Voicemail Depot. And uh, it's not free, which in some ways gives me comfort that it might be around, around a while, because if they're covering their costs, hopefully they've got a sustainable business model. And with Voicemail Depot, <laughs> you can have some control over the phone number that you get, which is why I'm, I was able to get a voicemail ending with Mosin, which is pretty... Pretty neat. And uh, yeah, so, so check it out. I'll put a link to it in the show notes of the podcast. But if you just Google on Voicemail Depot, I'm sure it will come up. And it seems to do the job. And it, uh, the, the audio it produces is fairly nice. So I hope that helps. And please give me the result of the South Carolina primary. I want it now. It's still a week away. I tell you. You guys have got to do something about those Russians over there. That I can tell you. Sad. Andy says, One of the difficulties I have with dictation is the inaccuracies. But more than that, he rants, if you can rant in 280 characters, the lack of editing. If it's wrong, dot, 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 fix it. He says, I can't count how many texts I get that are almost illegible because of dictation. It's a curse, I say. I do have some sympathy with your point of view. I, I must say, I sometimes, occasionally, get a text from Bonnie, and I do my best to decipher what she has said, and after a couple of minutes of trying to work it out, what could this actually possibly mean? I just can't. So I text back with, pardon, and she comes back, and I get it the second time around. But yeah, I mean, it would be nice if people would fix the dictation errors before they said. Also, though, uh, I, I need to just pace myself better on this program because, you know, 
it's easy to blame others, isn't it? It's easy to blame others. And, and what I need to do is just make sure that if I get emails from people who I believe will dictate, then I should, you know, play a song, do something, have a chance to pre-read, and if necessary, just paraphrase it. So I do own the issue too. I take responsibility because you have to. You, you've got to deal with what's in your control to fix. Know what I mean. Anyway, thank you, Andy. This is an area, by the way, where, in my opinion, Google kicks Apple's butt. Google dictation is much more accurate in my experience than iOS dictation, although I do feel that iOS dictation is getting better. And on that subject, there was a very interesting discussion recently that I saw. I believe it was on Reddit or somewhere like that. Some people are saying Android's changed, I believe it's their messaging app, so that now when you pause, and you may well just do this for reflection when you're dictating, Google is interpreting this as punctuation because apparently a lot of people have difficulty, comma, using punctuation when they're dictating, full stop. And so, comma, so I feel like a Victor Borger sketch coming on, they decided that they would interpret these pauses as punctuation. And it's having a disastrous effect and people are very upset about it. And I think maybe Google either will or is considering reversing this. (laughs) So maybe they need a setting. I think Dragon has a setting like this where it tries to guess the punctuation for you, but you have to expressly enable it. Good day, Jonathan. It's Jason in Virginia. Good day, Jason. Enjoy the information and the entertainment you provide to all of us. Thank Thank you. Thank you so much for everything you do. Um, I wanted to see if maybe at some point you could discuss a little bit on using 1Password. Uh, in particular, with uh, Windows, I went ahead and paid for the year when they offered the deal over the Christmas holiday. And i uh, just like to get a little more information on best practices on using it and essentially how to use it along with you know your browser of choice and get the most out of it. Appreciate it. Thanks again for everything. Well, thank you, Jason. Let me see. I I do like 1Password very much. It's not the only option out there, but it's the one that I use. Many people recommend it, and um, it works well on my iPhone. I have it set up now where my passwords are available to me in iOS and in Windows on all my machines. And it's, uh, it's just really cleverly done. And I guess the first thing is to install the Windows app. And the second thing would be to install the extension for your particular browser. So there's a 1Password Chrome extension that is available in the Google Chrome Store. I think they are supporting the Chromium Edge natively, but even if they're not, you can, of course, enable the feature in the Chromium Edge if you're using that now and use the Chrome extension. When you have that installed, what will happen is that if you go to a website you enter your password as you're logging in and one password should actually pop up and say, do you want me to save this for you so that you don't have to enter it manually next time? What I would recommend, because generally people who don't have a password manager keep pretty poor password hygiene of necessity because if you go to dozens of websites, even in the course of, say, a month, it's pretty hard to remember each individual password. I guess you might have a note pad document or a word document where all your individual passwords are written down i guess that's a little bit better but of course if somebody gets that document you are in trouble yeah. so 
one of the things that a lot of password manager users have to do when they install their password manager and they've got it configured so that it's working is to actually go in and change all your passwords. And 1Password has a very good system when you um, bring up the 1Password app, you've got a series of tabs that you have to up and down arrow through and then press spacebar on the tab that you want to activate. One of those tabs is called a password generator, and you can specify the kind of password that it generates in terms of how long it is. I usually have mine at about 12 to 15 characters, because if you go too long, some sites can't cope with the passwords being too long. Some sites also object to certain characters being in your password. So I generally stick to a mix of upper and lower case letters and numbers. And then what you can do is when you go into the bits of the websites that say, change my password, you have to know your old password, you enter that. And then I go into the password generator of one password and I copy the password that it generates to the clipboard and paste it in and then save it. And one password will say, yeah, do you want me to remember the password? And you choose yes. And that all that's all there is to it. So now I don't know almost any password that I log in with. When I go to a website, I just press my control backslash. There's the control backslash again, just as well. I guess I'm not using window eyes. Um, control backslash is the default one password key and it logs in for you with your username and password. You can also store a lot of other data in one password. You can store credit card information and I find that very handy. So when I'm on a website and I'm paying for something, I press my control backslash, choose the credit cards tab, my business visa and my personal visa and other things are in there. I choose the appropriate credit card. It usually, not always, but usually fills in all the fields absolutely correctly. And I just hit the submit button and I've paid for something. And obviously it is a very secure system. The key to this, of course, is having a very, very robust password. And my one password password is about 20 odd characters long. It has a mixture of upper and lower case. It's a crazy password. But I, I've committed that one password to memory and I don't know any other password it's wonderful, very secure. The other thing while we're talking about password hygiene, as it were, is wherever you can, do turn on two-factor authentication. What this means is that to get into your account, somebody needs two things, something that you know, the password, and something that you have, usually your phone. You can do two-factor authentication by text message, or you can get apps like the Microsoft or Google Authenticator apps. A really classic example of where this is so important is with Ring Video Doorbells. Just over the last two or three months, there's been a series of really um, unpleasant incidents with regard to Ring Video Doorbells. There was one that I saw towards the end of last year, where I think the girl was eight or nine, she was a young girl, and she was in her room, and the um, they had one of those ring cameras. So this wasn't just the video doorbell, they had a camera, and I guess they, they had it there for security. And uh, somebody hacked in to the camera, and the this guy appeared, and it was a, like a disembodied voice appeared and said that he was Santa Claus and he was her friend and it was basically spying on this girl because the password had been hacked and there was no two-factor authentication. Uh, these days, identity fraud is a really serious issue. So 
I would always very, very strongly recommend two-factor authentication wherever it's available, on your Facebook, on your Twitter. Apple makes it pretty hard not to use two-factor authentication. And I notice now that Ring is requiring that all Ring video doorbell owners and Ring product owners use two-factor authentication as well. So I, I hope that's of some help. One day we might do a full sort of demo of 1Password. It is a great app. It seems to be accessible on all platforms. And um, I highly recommend it. The one thing I have noticed in Google Chrome is that the first time you invoke 1Password in a session, it takes a few seconds to respond. And I think that's because it's coming up in some sort of secure process. So you have to press control backslash the first time you boot the computer up and wait a few seconds. But once you've done it once after a reboot of the computer, it's immediate. So worth persisting with for all that you get, I think. Hey, Jonathan, it's Mike Fair. Oh, Mike. And yeah, hearing the conversation uh, about bullying, it uh, certainly does make you think we are seemingly in a time that people are less cognizant of the damage words can do. Uh, and, and what they say and, and just will be unafraid to even, even not disguising their identities these days, uh, just say some pretty horrific things and not think twice about the results of that and, uh, be malicious like that. Unfortunately, with cyberbullying, it's, it's at the point now where if it's online, there's no real escape from it, uh, especially in, in, uh, for school, uh, kids. These days, uh, it can bullying can follow you home and just continue incessantly. And we had a really tragic case of that in Canada uh, years ago. Uh, Amanda Todd, I believe, is still the most widely known about case of this uh, in Canada. I've, I've read a couple of books about this um, uh, over the years. One called Troll Hunting and another uh, Extreme Mean. Uh, I can't remember the authors off the top of my head, but uh, very uh, interesting, if somewhat scary reading about the phenomenon of, of uh, online bullying and the results it can have. Uh, I've been fortunate. I've only had very small incidents of that. I had one fellow try to destroy my magazine at one point when I went away for a weekend and got, came back to all these messages of, oh, I hope you're well. And uh, I'm like, what? I've been away. I've been having fun. What's going on? And someone tried to uh, basically say that I was going to shut down my magazine, which uh, back in those days I had no intention of doing. And uh, it, it turned out it was this cyber bully who just thought he would have fun by causing some havoc at my expense. And uh, fortunately, people knew me well enough and came to my defense. So if anything, it was a positive experience in that I, I saw what what uh, impact I, I had had, a, a positive impact uh, I had had that people knew me well enough to uh, come to my defense in my absence. But if you don't have support in your life, if you don't have really good people around you who understand where you're coming from, it can really be horrific stuff to go through. Good on you, Mike. Thank you very much for that. And um, the Odyssey magazine, ah, that was fun. Those were the days. Hey there, Jonathan. Thomas Solich again in Ohio. Hello, One Thomas. One of your biggest fans, my friend. I want to say a huge... Thank you, first of all. Two weeks ago, you gave some extremely valuable insight on how to convince my colleague that Microsoft Excel desktop app uh, in conjunction with Teams or SharePoint 
would offer me a much more sound and thorough accessibility experience than would Google Sheets where we are in 2020. And I want to thank you because I successfully made everybody um, aware and convinced them to make the switch, and I am just loving the um, autonomy and comfort of the uh, collaboration in Microsoft Excel Desktop using OneDrive and, and Teams and all that. It's exactly like you said. It is infinitely easier than the layered shortcuts in the web interface of Google Sheets. So thank you for that. More than you know, you, um, you know this, this project is about a $750,000 project for March, and you radically uh, changed it. So I guess let me know where to send the, uh, the royalties. I was going to ask. In addition, <laughs> um, this inspired two other quick questions for you. And thank you for letting me take advantage of the eternal wisdom of uh, Jonathan Mosin and the <laughs> Mosin uh, at large and Mosin Explosion here. First question is, as blind users, um, have we found any reliable way, whether we are browsing on the iPhone or on the new Edge or Google Chrome desktop apps, to skip advertisements. You know, uh, when a sighted user is reading an, a long article and there are 25 ads, they can simply skim. Uh, which uh, levels or buttons are good on most uh, sites if you're reading a magazine or reading an article um, to just be able to not hear those ads? I think uh, Vespero needs to put an ad blocker in, uh, in the virtual uh, PC cursor. That's the first question. Second question is, um, have you figured out a way in Outlook desktop to reorder your inboxes. So they say to use drag and drop, but when you use the standard JAWS 2020 drag and drop uh, commands with the mouse click, it says there's nothing to drag and drop. So I've got some inboxes out of order in Outlook uh, 2020 uh, 365 desktop. Love to know how to change the order of those. Anyway, thank you very much, and uh, feel free to send me a bill, my friend. Oh, man, I will. Uh, only half joking there. <laughs> and again, Thomas Solich in Ohio. Keep doing what you're doing. You guys are absolutely incredible. Hope to talk to you again soon. I'm very glad that you're enjoying the collaboration there. Microsoft has done a fantastic job, as has with Sparrow, with making all of that work. And I love it. I mean, I love being able to sit in a room with somebody. It is actually incredibly revolutionary to sit in a room with a group of people. And often they have resorted in the past to whiteboards for this task. But now everybody has their tablet or their laptop open. We're all working on the one document. We make amendments. I can immediately see the amended document. And it gives me a degree of inclusion and accessibility that is just Wonderful. So I love it too. It's great. And you can collaborate with the same people in the room or across the world via a conference. I'm, I'm sure Microsoft will prefer you to use a Teams meeting, but you could just as easily use Zoom while you're collaborating as well. So that's fantastic. As for ads, there are some good ad blockers in the store, Thomas, for iOS. I don't have a particular recommendation. There are so many of these and I kind of try them from time to time. So maybe somebody has a particular ad blocker that they like and that they can recommend. So uh, we'll, I think there's one called Adblock Plus that's very popular on Chromium-based browsers, and that will do the job as well. But if you visit a site regularly, uh, 
One of the most undervalued features of JAWS is flexible web. And if you go back to when I did the FS cast on flexible web, you will have heard me get very enthusiastic. And of course, when I used to get enthusiastic about JAWS features, people would go, oh, well, of course he would. Flexible web is actually something that I lobbied for pretty hard internally. And I use flexible web all the jolly time because flexible web allows you to eliminate certain elements of a web page from the virtual buffer. I use this in various ways. One is that I frequent a website. It's a forum for New Zealand IT professionals, even though I'm no longer an IT professional. I still like to keep up with what's going on in the world of IT. And they have a lot of nested quoting in their forums. And so when you read a message, you've got to get past all the quotey, quotey, quote to get to the new text of the message. And it's time consuming. With Flexible Web, I was able to eliminate all of the quotes. They just don't appear in my virtual buffer at all. And it has sped up my ability to work with that site many hundreds of percent. It's, it's amazing. And you can do the same with certain types of controls or, or, or classes of material that usually contain things like social media share links or ads. So it takes a bit of setting up. That is true. If you can get an ad blocker to do it, that's great because it is more automated. But if you visit a website regularly enough, it is worth configuring it for flexible web and uh, you will find a really, really good experience. Jonathan, Nick Zamorelli here with your WeWalk update. Oh my goodness gracious. Ask and ye shall receive. Unfortunately, I have not used the navigation features on it a great deal. This is still the winter season here, and it's still a little chilly, but hopefully spring will be coming soon, and uh, I'll be able to get out a little bit more and, and, and explore. I did look, however, and there was a software update just yesterday, and the big improvement in this particular software version is that they are now uh, alerting the user when the user has made a wrong turn or is walking backwards. And when uh, that alert takes place, the GPS coordinates are immediately updated. And when the user gets turned around back in the, in the right direction, uh, instead of being told to turn left, as may have been the case previously, they are then told to turn right. This software is very good about updating and addressing problems. You get frequent updates with the software. One of the reasons that I haven't used it as much as I would have liked is because it's a little bit finicky when it comes to swiping down on the screen, the touchscreen on the cane itself, and that makes it a little bit difficult because what it wants you to do when you first start to use the software is swipe uh, in the directions that it asks you to swipe in. And it doesn't always register the swipes uh, the way that it should. Um, so I'm still, you know, very much uh, learning how to use the thing. I've had it for about five months now. And like I said, hopefully when the weather gets warmer and stays warmer, I'll be able to really get out there and start using it. What I would be willing to do if it's okay with you, is give you periodic updates. And I could also um, do a little bit of a demo 
uh, if you would if you would like that, and that would serve as my contribution to a Mosin explosion and and hopefully a Mosin at large podcast uh, somewhere down the road. A touch screen on your smart cane, eh? What a what a wonderful world in which we live. I would love that. I was hoping that you were going to say that what you could do is send me one. But no, that would be great, Nick. If you were to get out and about there with the smart cane and show us how it works, that would be good. And I might just have to take the plunge and get one, assuming that they service New Zealand. I don't know what GPS technology they're using and whether it's available here, but it would be a fun thing to play with. Caroline says, I think what Michael is saying is true, and I think it's because so many people can hide behind their keyboards. If they can say it in writing, they think it's okay, but they may not say it in person. Yes, it it is pure cowardice. Absolutely, it is. Adblock Plus says Christopher Duffley is very good. Doesn't work maybe 5% of the time because of app browsers but if you use a regular web browser on its own it works very well yeah yeah you got to use safari with um with the ad blocks on ios of course bonnie mosin welcome to you how are you you? more to the point good i'm getting there yes this is following the incredible shingly shingles Mm -hmm. episode yeah i finished all my medication that's good and um i think i'm getting there it's certainly getting better every day I still get tired, but I don't seem to have the extreme tiredness that I had like the last couple of weeks, which is good. I'm glad. Um, I've been reading a lot about the shingles, and it's an interest following its the the process, the journey, if you will, of the illness. The journey of the shingles. Yeah, the virus, and it's kind of interesting. So, mm. um, but yeah, it, it was kind of amusing at work because I gave clients the option of whether they wanted me to come or not and some of them didn't so you know that's okay so we we, we have email for you okay here's one from sam troyer he's been listening for a long 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 time on and off oh man he says hi jonathan and bonnie it specifically says you i would like to start well that's good oh i see no i would like to start by by commiserating with bonnie as i too I'm going through a bout of shingles. Man, he says, I wouldn't wish this soup. We didn't actually say that, but on anyone. Mine affected the left side of my neck as well. And some on that side of my lower face. They gave me a course of antibiotics called AC Clover. Hmm. I think that's what A-C-Y-C-L-O-V-I-R. I think that's what I had. Anticlovar. Yeah. That's what I had. And some cream yep. to administer topically, which really just relieves the symptoms. Mm-hmm. As a former shingle survivor, <laughs> when applied, that cream burnt like an SOB, he says. <laughs> it does, <laughs> yeah. For a good hour or more. It does burn because they're. Don't know its name, says Sam. The condition is now waning. Yeah. So there is light at the end of this abhorrent tunnel, well, which I, even I can see. They, um, I started this thing this week because it was, it was just, I don't know, it was kind of funny. And to give kind of backstory on it, I read a book over Christmas called Nothing to See Here. And I highly recommend it. It's by, mm. I believe his name is Kevin Wilson. It's about a girl, a woman who her 
former boarding school roommate who's married to a prominent U.S. senator invites her over and wants her to sort of be a nanny to her stepchildren. Well, the catch is that the stepchildren spontaneously combust when they get upset or anxious. Most kids do spontaneously combust when they get upset, don't they? It's really funny and really good. But I started thinking about that a lot because, like Sam is saying, your your skin really does feel like it's on fire and flaming. And I noticed this past week or so, if I'd get stressed about something or anxious or whatever, that it would start that. And I started imagining myself as a, as a unicorn or a flaming dragon that um, the mane or the back part of the unicorn would break out in silver flames. So mm. that was sort of fun visualization technique. On another matter, says Sam Troyer, keyboards were mentioned during the explosion of February the 15th, and I have one that I like. It's called the Matthias, Matthias, M-A-T-I-A-S. It can be assigned to more than one Bluetooth device at a time, and it doesn't require pairing codes to be entered. It's big, though, and includes a numpad. Again, hope that Bonnie is well soon, and may shingles be placed on houses where they belong, <laughs> rather than in our bodges. <laughs> Sincerely, Sam Troyer. Mm. There you go. Thank cool. you, Sam. Thank you, Sam. And hope you get better, too, because it sounds like you have it worse than me. Yes, yes. But I you ha- probably yeah. don't want to hear that. I, I, had it, I had it worse than you. You did. It It. It definitely can manifest itself in some strange, and apparently you can have them internally too, which I don't yeah. quite. It, understand. it reminds me of when I was in hospital with appendicitis. That was pretty exciting uh, in 1980, and there were all these kids in the ward at the children's hospital arguing about who was the sickest. You know, oh, sort gee. of for, for bragging rights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you got what I would call, I think, initially a gentle castigation. Last week, we sort of spontaneously morphed Mm -hmm. into discussion about Tom Dooley, only because I started singing Hang Down Your Head, Tom Brady, Mm -hmm. and then we got to talk about Tom Dooley. So we weren't really prepared for the Tom Dooley discussion, and Mm -mm. you drew from your memory banks. But Roy Nash, he is an expert, apparently, in these matters, and Mm -hmm. he warned me. Uh, he, He warned me that he was going to be coming up with uh, some facts about uh, Tom Dooley, and he has. I shall read them to you now, if you like. Okay. Okay. On May the 1st, 1868, after being convicted a second time for the murder of Laurie Foster, Tom Dula, D-U-L-A, it's a good southern name, died on the gallows. The crime occurred two years earlier. Tom had two girlfriends. Man, that's expensive on Valentine's Mm -hmm. Day. Laurie Foster... And Anne Melton, two weeks after Laurie's disappearance, her body was discovered in a shallow grave. Oh, dear. Tom and Anne were arrested and charged with murder. Mm -hmm. Tom confessed to the murder and declared that Anne was not involved. Mm. Opinions voiced by people in the community were that Anne either committed the crime or was an accomplice. Mm -hmm. The song Tom Dula was written by Tom. Since that time, numerous songs have been sung to different melodies and speculating as to the guilt of Tom and Anne. Anne and Laurie were cousins. Okay, so they were related. She married Bob Melton Mm -hmm. while Tom was fighting in the war. Mm -hmm. Anne and Bob 
were in the process of getting a divorce. According to info obtained from the North Carolina Historical Society, Anne was a person with a very bad reputation. Oh, dear. <laughs> Glad there was no social media. At the the, time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, so that Roy. was that was kind of we just had it a bit murky. Yeah, because you know, yeah, there were yeah, two yeah. women involved, and I've forgotten that one of the women was arrested with him. But you know, there's still like he says, there's still some argument whether Anne was involved, and he just covered up for. Her. And just as I try and get out of my head, Roy emails me or someone emails me oh, about don't. Tom Dooley, and then I get give up the race, Joe Biden oh, dear. in my head. <laughs> now uh, there is this other thing too. I know, I know this, that I have heard a sequel to Tom Dooley. I thought that the Kingston Trio did it, but I could be wrong about that. But I know I've heard on the radio in New Zealand when I was a kid, a sequel where Tom actually falls through the gallows and they have to let him go. Yeah. And I can't find it anywhere. The internet has totally failed me. Mm. I've, I've searched on all conceivable topic terminology to try and find the sequel. You tried YouTube? I've tried the tube of you. I'm I'm out of ideas. Hello, Jonathan. My name is Allison Fallon. I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was only 24 out. Needs reverb. From Tulsa. Oh, that's a good song. Hello, Allison. And I just wanted to talk about a phone that is just fine for me. And I assume for a lot of other people, it's the Blind Shell Classic. And the reason that I like it is that I don't have to swipe and do all those things with an iPhone. I tried my best with an iPhone for two years, and I had all kinds of trouble. And since I have Braille devices that can get email, I decided that I was going to go back to using a phone with buttons. And it's not as efficient in some ways as the iPhone as far as being quick, but it works just fine. I can send texts. I can speak the text. And I think it's a great product. So I thought I would let your listeners know that if they get frustrated with an iPhone, as some people do, that is an option. And I paid... um, Actually, my husband got it for me for Christmas, and I paid uh, $349 for it, which is a whole lot better than the cost of an iPhone. One thing I wanted to comment on from way back, you were saying about uh, peanut butter, and I love peanut butter, and for my 70th birthday, I had a cake. It was a cake with chocolate in the middle, and peanut butter cups all around the cake, and I believe, as I remember, peanut butter frosting, and it was just wonderful. I like peanut butter, and I've often said that when I get to heaven, if there isn't peanut butter, I'm not going. Enjoy your show. Even if some of the techie stuff is not something I totally understand, I enjoy your show, and I always listen. Thanks so much. And that's okay, Alison, because 
I don't understand much of the techie stuff yeah. either, so we're in good company. And, uh, yes, I, I hope that there's peanut butter in heaven as well because I'm definitely not going there. Um, so if they have if they have peanut butter in heaven, I'm quite relaxed about that. No, I hope there's peanut butter in heaven. I hope there's peanut butter cups in heaven. Are you going there? I hope so. Mm. So we'll be, like, separated for eternity. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, well, I better well make... they say you don't really – I mean, I've I've heard that you don't them. know people in heaven. Cause oh. if, I mean, if you oh. can imagine this, <laughs> when people die – I think I'm sorry I started this. And be, I mean, imagine it. Imagine this. There should be a Saturday night skit about this. Everybody's gathered around the pearly gates because somebody's mm. rung a doorbell to get in or whatever. And here comes, you know, Joe walking through the – why is it always Joe? Here comes Dimitri walking through the door. Dimitri, you mean they let you in? You yeah. know? Can you imagine that? Well, no, I can't. And then I, you'd be very I'm... upset if Victor didn't get in. Right. Well, anyway, um, hopefully there's peanut butter there. However, if there is soup in hell, then I really do need to try harder to get to heaven. Mm. I really do. Now, this blind shell phone. Thank you for talking about this, Alison, because I think it's really important that people have these choices. Mm -hmm. It makes me a little bit grumpy when people seek to sort of impose their choices. I've got no problem with people talking about what they like about a particular product, and they can say that most vociferously, but that doesn't mean that everybody has to use the same thing. And there are people who just don't get on with the touchscreen approach. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make them lesser people. It's just not the right product for them. So I think it's exciting that there are these products that are being offered out there that give people choice who don't want to use a touchscreen. You've seen this blind shell phone, haven't you? We have a couple at work. Um, I work, for those that don't know, I work for Blind Low Vision New Zealand. And we have the blind, I think we have two in our office that we can, that they can go out and demonstrate to people. I'd sort of like to see it again and just so I can talk more intelligently with clients about it. But it does, it, it, you can text, it does have physical buttons, it talks, it says whatever it's doing. I think it has. Do you know a, what speech it's using? It'd be Android based, so it might, it might be using the like Android um, new or something. I don't know. Oh, right. Okay. I, I, Anthony might know, but I, oh. I, someone else, Allison might know. But it does speak the menus and you can call and text and I think. It's got a calendar. Yes, and, it does. And um, somebody calendar. was saying to me, I was talking to someone about this yesterday who was saying that they've seen some bugs with the calendar yeah. app, but I, I mean, I don't know, but uh, th- those bugs can be ironed out with software updates. I think it can do email and I think. Yep, it can, I think. Yep. I, does it have a book reader or did I imagine that part? I would imagine that it would if it's a blindness-specific product. Yeah. You'd put a book reader in there, wouldn't you? And, and if it's Android-based, they could put, for American audiences, they could put the BARD app in there. Yeah. Thanks for drawing that to our attention, Alison. Yeah, it's great it's, to have these choices. It's really a good viable option for people because a lot of the older – it's interesting. Some of the older clients take to the touchscreen like a duck to water, and then others, it's too much for them. And and I don't think it's necessarily age-limited. No. There are just some There's people just who some just can't. aren't suited – to, yeah. to you know, to personal preference, and, and it's possible that they would be the way. I mean, I know sighted people that can barely use their iPhones or Androids. You yeah. know, it's really yeah. amazing. Yeah, exactly right. It's just yeah, yeah. it's really quite interesting. To Argentina we go on the email, and Francisco has been in touch, and he says hello, Jonathan. Hello, Francisco. A few years ago. I suggested that you produce a book on how to be productive being a Braille user with a capital B. I know that one of your key tips is to reverse the order of the panning buttons, which was quite a handy one 
in my experience, as I read Braille with my right hand. Now that you are not producing any more books, it would be great if you could show us more tips and ideas. I take it you mean for free. (laughs) I plan, he says, to get a Focus 45th generation at the NFB convention in Houston to replace my Vario Ultra which was helpful for note-taking purposes, but not as good to work on a PC due to the lack of important features like Braillein. I have to constantly move my hand to the QWERTY keyboard and found it so annoying that I resigned myself to not using it on Windows. BTW, that means by the way, if someone for any reason is interested in the Vario Ultra, I could sell it during the convention. What I would suggest, Francisco, and other Braille reading types, is feel free to customize your commands to suit your particular requirements. The Braille display features in both JAWS and iOS are incredibly configurable, and that gives you plenty of advantages. For example, in the speaker's notes of PowerPoint, I now go into the JAWS keyboard manager whenever an update to the PowerPoint scripts come out, and I assign Encord to the speaker's notes. So when a PowerPoint slideshow is running, I just press Encord and I can read. And uh, there you go. The other thing I would also look at is how long flash messages stay on the screen or even whether you want flash messages at all. And that may vary from application to application. For example, if I'm reading a Word document I don't really want to see the flash message pop up that tells me that I've changed pages to page two or page three, particularly if I'm reading a script and I need to read and I don't want any distractions. That message popping up telling me it's page two, page three, etc., is annoying. So I actually turn flash messages off in Microsoft Word. JAWS and Braille is just so configurable. So I hope that helps and we might inspire some other people. I know that every so often Judy Dixon listens to this and Judy's probably the most competent brow user I've ever come across. And so she might have some um, thoughts on optimizing Braille. I, for example, am quite rare, I think, in that I don't like seeing dot seven and eight showing me what's highlighted because I figure if I want to highlight something, I push the cursor routing key and I know it's highlighted because I just push the cursor routing key. Now, I think I mentioned this to Judy and she couldn't imagine working that way. So this is the thing. Braille can be incredibly configurable to whatever your requirements and your personal preferences are. Here's Paul Hopewell. Hello, Paul. He says, hello, Jonathan. I enjoy your Mosin at Large podcast and particularly appreciate your use of chapters for easy access to topics of special interest. That's right. For those listening to the podcast, we do take the time to mark up the podcast by chapter quite extensively, and it allows you to zap around the podcast. And of course, if you're using uh, Castro, it allows you to build a playlist essentially in advance of the bits of the show that you want to hear. It's amazing. Uh, Paul continues, following your excellent podcast on Castro, I decided to give it a go. I have used Overcast for some time and so migrated my 30 or so podcasts to Castro. That all went well and they all worked except Nature and Science New Scientist from www.tnauk.org.uk. Oh, that's a good service, isn't it? This differs from all my other podcasts as I pay an annual subscription 
to TNA UK, or is it Tnork? I think I think it is TNA UK. Castro refuses to download this podcast with error four hundred one. When I originally set up this podcast on Overcast, I had to input my user ID and password to authenticate my subscription. I suspect that this was not properly migrated to Castro. I've contacted Castro support but cannot get an answer as to whether Castro supports paid-for subscription-based podcasts. They just reply that it will all be working shortly. Mm, I guess that suggests they know there might be a problem. So are any of the Castro podcasts you listen to paid-for subscription-based? They are not, Paul. I suspect if they answer the way they did that there might be an issue there. I take it you have tried to unsubscribe and start from scratch again? with that particular podcast to see if that works. Paul continues, what I most like about Castro is the inbox and the command to clear a podcast so that it never gets downloaded. I subscribe to a lot of BBC radio podcasts, including several of your favorites. I try to listen to these live, but have the podcast in case I miss a live episode. As a result, I immediately clear about half the podcasts in my Castro inbox. Using Overcast, I have to start the podcast download before I can delete the current episode. Um, He says, do you plan to do a podcast on Ulysses? As a voiceover user, I find document layout particularly difficult to check with the usual what you see is what you get editor. I like the idea of a markup notation in the source document, which I can trust to result in a good layout when converting to PDF. Ulysses does this as well as many other things, but I have failed to find a good non-market description of what you can do with Ulysses and how to do it. I did a kind of an overview of Ulysses in a previous episode of Mosin at Large. If you haven't checked that out, You might like to and see whether that's adequate. If it's not adequate and you have checked it out, I guess I could try and do some more. It's great. The other thing I would say in defense of iOS is that it has become a much more viable content creation tool in recent times. There are a lot of new formatting commands. So you might like to have another play, uh, inspect the little section in iOS that shows you the different keyboard and Braille commands available you really do have a lot of um, key strokes now. Here is an email from John Gallagher, who is staying in the UK for this one. He says, hello there. Well, after a good bit of hard work, I now see the Ulysses app as a really good way for a Braille user with a lowercase b. It uh, took me a while to learn keystrokes on my BI14 display, but now I can get to the top and bottom of a document I must next learn how to move text about in a document, but this has amazed me how good the app really is. So a big thanks to your podcast. That's great, John. Yeah, it's a very viable note taker and document solution. Now, here's an email from Brooke. Brooke, you're a poser because I, 
I think most Brooks these days are female, but you do have people like Brooke Benton and various others who are males. It's kind of like the name Kim. Sometimes when you see the name Kim come through your email, you don't know whether you are corresponding with a male or a female. And it doesn't matter other than sometimes I say she says or he says, but I shall try to be gender neutral so as not to get it wrong. Probably, you know, if I have a 50, 50% chance of getting it wrong, I probably will. So um, I, I, I'll try and be gender neutral. Brooke says, there we go. Brooke says, hi, Jonathan. After listening to your podcast, I decided to give Walter 2 a try. Upon first running the program, I ran into the same issue as another listener wrote about. That was Gary O'Donoghue. I had no options other than a sub-menu with frequently asked questions and a button to purchase a license. Pressing tab did nothing. I then got a message in Walter 2 saying I needed to be online for the program to work. I knew I was already online, so it was time to restart the computer. At this point, I also decided to connect my phone to the computer, thinking maybe that would make a difference. Bingo! Or should I say, bingo! Walter 2 then recognised my phone, and I was able to transfer my first tone. Now that the two seem to be connected, it recognises my phone wirelessly. I hope this helps anyone that was previously stuck with Walter 2. Thank you very much, Brooke. And an email from Kelby Carlson on gestures. He says, hi, Jonathan. I found it very useful to implement your customized touch gestures for moving from heading to heading. What other custom gestures have you made that have been helpful? A lot of the gestures, the swiping gestures, are already taken. So the potential for adding gestures to scroll through links and form fields, which I'd like to do, seems limited. Well, I have added one, I think it's a four-finger swipe up and down, possibly. I believe that's what it is. And that moves me from link to link. What you could do is if, if you find one gesture that's not often used, just replace it, Kelby. Yeah, but it is a tricky one, isn't it? Because you get used to the gesture set. And so you uh, you want to stick with them. Highlighting, says Caroline, is one of the first things I turn off when I'm configuring Braille with JAWS. It just gets in my way. Oh, I'm glad I'm not the only one. Because, I mean, if you want to highlight something, you know to just route the cursor, don't you? David Harvey has been in touch about cricket. Oh, man, a subject dear to my heart. and We do have a bit of a problem in this country. Cricket on the radio is something that dates back years and years. I mean, all the way back to at least the 50s and 60s, people in New Zealand and many other Commonwealth countries or cricket-playing countries have been listening to cricket on the radio. It's iconic that there's a spat going on at the moment between New Zealand cricket and Radio Sport, which is a commercial broadcaster who brought the rights to, to cricket some years ago now, a couple of decades ago, and they can't agree. The crux of the matter seems to be that Radio Sport wanted a five-year deal for certainty's sake, and New Zealand Cricket said, given the very rapidly changing media landscape, we only want a two-year deal. And Radio Sport said, well, we're already running this at a loss and we're not going to sign up for two years. And Cricket said, fine, see if we care. And so now they have actually announced that the deal between Radio Sport and New Zealand Cricket to cover domestic and international fixtures in New Zealand is ending at the end of April. 
So at this stage, there are no plans that have been confirmed for radio coverage of cricket next summer in New Zealand. This is a travesty on so many levels. I mean, it's a part of New Zealand's culture and history. And of course, you can get cricket on our pay-for-view Sky service. First, of course, many blind people can't afford it. Free-to-air sport on the radio was a very important matter in, in that sense. But second, it's just not as good to have the cricket on the TV because naturally the people who are watching the cricket can see the deliveries, can see what's going on. And so the description is basically non-existent. There's, I mean, it sounds great in surround sound and you can, you, you can really get immersed in the crowd and everything, but there's not much description of what's going on. It's extremely troubling. So thank you for drawing that to my attention, David. And I hope that there will be some sort of petition. I'm certainly going to write as an individual to New Zealand cricket and um, tell them how much we look forward to this stuff on the radio. Hello, Jonathan. This is Gary O'Donoghue. Hey, Gary. Uh, Being a little lazy and just recording this message straight onto my iPhone. A couple of things. One password you just mentioned. I've been using it for a couple of years. I must say I use it in a slightly hit-and-miss fashion just because I've never sat down and invested the proper time to working it out across platforms, etc., etc. And I think um, you're the man, Jonathan. You're the man to do this for the community. I think it's a really important one because confidentiality for people who can't see for us is a big thing. Um, Financial confidentiality, medical confidentiality, whatever it is. If we can have a system where we uh, can organise and rely less on the ad hoc, ad hoc support we have to ask for at times and and organise all our stuff in one place, a secure place, an encrypted place... I think that's a, a really, really important thing for, for blind people to be able to do and uh, have that level of, of independent access to our own information through a little bit of effort in entering it in the right way in the first place. So I'm, in, I'm urging you, Jonathan, to do a, a cross-platform proper tutorial on one password. I think it'd be a service, and I'd certainly pay... 25 bucks for that. The other thing you were talking about bullying, which I thought was a fascinating discussion, because one of the issues, I don't know if anyone has ever come across this uh, as a blind person, is this phrase gaslighting. And certainly my understanding of gaslighting is the sort of way in which you can be spoken to or, or dealt with in a way that undermines your own view of reality. And I think this is something that does happen to blind people quite a lot, that, the, that you know, individuals or, I mean, I'm sure it can be institutionalised, but there's a way in which you're, you're sort of led to believe that you've misunderstood something or you've misunderstood a process or whatever because, you know, prob, you know, because you can't see. They never actually say that, but the implication is clear. You've missed the point, uh, and you've missed the point because, you know, you can't see what you're doing. I just wondered if anyone else had had that kind of experience, because I certainly have. Thank you, Gary. I look forward to others' comments on this. I may well put together a podcast on 1Password. I certainly don't need to do a book and charge for it because I'm earning a good living, and I only charged for my stuff because I was trying to make a living out of it. So I'll see what I can do uh, sometime when I, I will really need a good day of time to put something good together. But I'll add it to my list, so I appreciate that. We have talked a bit on this podcast about bullying, and I do want to close 
by saying that for some people this may have brought up some very difficult memories or emotions. If that is the case for you, there are places that you can go for help. In New Zealand, for example, there is an organization called NetSafe, which has a toll-free number and a website. And in fact, in New Zealand, there is cyberbullying legislation, which makes cyberbullying a crime. If you are a young person in particular, and you've been bullied, whether it be at school or online, please consult an adult that you trust, someone at your school, a parent if you feel able to open up to them, or reach out to one of the many services that are out there. There is no shame in asking for help, and with the right help, everything will pass. So if you have been affected by what we've talked about today as part of this podcast, I send you lots of love. I feel it because I know it can be very, very tough. That concludes this episode of Mosin at Large. If you would like to be in touch with the show, you can drop me an email to Jonathan, that's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N, at mushroomfm.com, write something down or attach an audio clip, and the listener line in the United States, 864-60-MOSIN, 864-606-6736. Mosin at Large.